are tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and in studio you have Jody and Dave. Hello. And we will hear from Hank and Craig, and we will hear from Brennan this week. He's talking about the Illuminati. But maybe not the one you think. Maybe not. Maybe they're all tied together, though. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Or um, maybe they're all naughty. And they all, well, they're definitely naughty. Okay. That's true. We're going to hear from Hank and Craig about a number of things, but mostly Indiana Jones. They both saw it and uh, they will share their views on that. Okay. I won't, I know how Craig feels about it because yeah. I, I read his review, but I won't, I won't spoil anything. Okay. We are going to talk about something kind of special, and that is Nimona and the work of N.D. Stevenson. Now, Nimona is an amazing graphic novel. It came out in 2015, and it has been my go-to recommend for all ages. For, I, for I can attest to that. This is Jody's favorite thing to tell people who are looking for a good graphic novel to read, especially if that person is a young lady. Well, it doesn't really matter. Young, old, you know, boy, girl, whatever, on the spectrum, it's a great read. And last week, I stumbled on a new show on Netflix. Literally stumbled. Like, was, like, cruising thumbnails when I was out of the room, and they just ran out of the room to find me and told me, like, there's something we have to watch right now. I did not know that this was going to happen. It had been optioned so long ago that I just gave up that it was ever going to be anything, and then suddenly it's right there in front of me. So it is an animated full-length movie adaptation of this amazing book and it's different they change the names of the characters they change the settings they change a lot of like kind of major plot points to it a little yeah but they got the spirit of it right they got Nimona right they did and so all the other stuff that they didn't get right doesn't matter and when we're talking about they, we're talking about the same person, right? Because, like, this was partly adapted by, like, the author of the graphic novel. So. Yes, but it had other people involved of course, of in course. as well. So, Should I, we talk about the comic first, in case people don't know about it? Like, that would be our big recommend, right? Would just be read the comic, whether, you know, something you find on Netflix leads you to it or not. Well, that, it, yes and no. Because there's a story inside the story or outside the story that I think is as compelling as the book itself. When this was written, it was written by a writer named Noelle Stevenson. Right. And when she wrote this, it was a webcomic originally, got discovered, and that opened the doors to boom all kinds of opportunities opened the doors to TV where they created She-Ra, the animated special, as the showrunner. Like, a very big deal. It really kind of made the career tons of awards, including Eisner's. Did the, the series Lumberjanes with Boom as a result of it. So it really opened the doors. And she wrote a amazing uh, autobiography called The Fire Never Goes Out, a memoir and pictures which came out in 2020. And it goes through the process of coming to terms with being transgender. Well, first being gay and then being transgender. Well, actually, that's not true. The transgender came after this book was written. Okay. And now goes by the handle N.D. Stevenson. Which is the name you'll see if you watch the Nimona 
animated feature length film. Right. I was frustrated for years because this thing has been out of print and I couldn't get copies of it. And now I kind of understand why, because they were revamping the title page and they needed to print new copies because the name had changed. I mean, hopefully people want to read this and it, it, it gets another, it gets another edition. That would be great. It makes sense when you said that this was a web comic originally, because reading Nimona kind of reminds me of reading like a serialized comic in the newspaper. The panels are very rigid, almost completely regimented, and every page or two tells a little story of what's going on between Nimona and... Blackheart. Blackheart, right. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's an amazing story. Nimona is a shapeshifter. Right. That's, that's not a spoiler. It's very apparent right away. And that actually is kind of thematic for the journey that Stevenson has taken. Finding a new shape, understanding who they are. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. And like when you read the autobiography too, they go into the details of how he's feeling like there was a hole inside. And even though the work was there and it was satisfying and then the accolades were there and all this at a very young age, there was always a hole. And eventually that hole came to be filled with self-satisfaction and learning how to manage their bipolar and ADHD, but also finding a loving partner in Molly Ostertag, who is another amazing creator, both in TV and in graphic novels. And just as a quick tangent, check out Witch Boy, Hidden Witch, and Midwinter Witch, which came out 2017, 18, and 19. Really great books. Okay. Um, and also deal with kind of gender in that boys have a role and girls have a role and then really rigid and then these characters within the story break those things. So it's very, very cool. But Nimona is about love and finding who you are and who you can trust and not being hung up on labels and how like being labeled a monster is a terrible thing. Yeah, she's a shapeshifter, but she's also like kind of a wannabe sidekick to somebody who she perceives as a supervillain, but who maybe has just gotten a bit of a bad rap. He did get a bad rap. And it, it plays a lot in a Venture Brothers kind of way with the silliness of the tropes of superheroism and supervillainy, which was one thing that the animated film version also kind of got right like it, yeah. it it's willing to play with those tropes the way the funniest dc and marvel films are also absolutely the other thing that is great in both the film and book form is that nimona is really funny like she's smarmy and snarky and she says inappropriate things she is fearless she will not step down from anyone and so she says funny stuff all the time and she helps people to be motivated to do things and it's hilarious i just i love her and i what i always when i would recommend this book to people i would always say it, it's not pandering like there's no language in here that talks down to a kid's level it's good for anybody to read. It's just really, really well written and really smart. Agreed. And the the sassiness and the lack of pandering and the shape-shifting are all things that transfer really well to uh, an animated format where things are moving around and expressions don't have to be cast in a single drawing. Um, and, and so, yeah, like you, you could tell there was somebody who who loved this story, 
and and worked really hard on it and even though there are adaptations that are made it still gets it still gets our main character right and that was what was so lovable about this comic in the first place yeah it's all about her and and her road I do want to mention a little bit about Lumberjanes, too, because that's another great series. It was a comic series. I, it ran for years. It won an Eisner as well. And this is another one that I like to recommend because, again, it's got great language. Uh, it's got really compelling characters. The premise of it is it's basically like they're Girl Scouts, but every time they go camping and stuff, they have some kind of supernatural encounter and some craziness happens. And what I think makes the characters really great is that you do get characters that are all along the spectrum of like straight, gay, transgender, but without it being like on the nose, the way that like DC and Marvel have created, you know, these queer characters that almost feel like a marketing idea to like just try to stir up some controversy or maybe like approach a different market demographic it's like no this is sincere like it comes out later way later like because it's unnecessary to have it as a plot device yeah and it's earnest and beautiful and like yeah the relationships in lumberjanes grow on you the more that you get to know all the different characters and it's just organic like everything just feels real and, nope, nope. and I can't recommend it any more than that. No uh, no shoehorns necessary. Exactly. So, a fantastic book. Um, Nimona is a great book. Uh, Stevenson also did some awesome work on uh, a Thor annual and Runaways in 2015. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen She-Ra. I need to dig in, I guess, and get into my Masters of the Universe uh you know, outfit and, and embrace it. Because being the showrunner of a massive cartoon like that is a huge responsibility. They talk about just how burnt out they got working on that and uh, and also other projects as well. But the, the uh, autobiography, The Fire Never Goes Out, it's just an interesting uh, format because it's mostly doodles and stuff. And I was, I read a lot of this as it came out on the blog initially. Mm. And so a lot of it I had seen before, but when you see it all put together and it's like a one person's journey of going through art school, becoming incredibly successful and still dealing with like all of the stuff in their life. It's yeah, it's a really interesting read. Yeah, so we're recommending a comic that might be hard to find because it is out of print. But they are, copies of Nimona are out there, maybe in a library, maybe on a friend's bookshelf. Yeah, and they are newly available from Harper Teen with with N.D. Stevenson. Oh, okay, so we know that. That's that's great news. And we're recommending uh, an animated film that's very easy to stream. Yeah, so watch the movie, read the book. They're different, but they're both great, and they're beautiful. And, uh, yeah, especially for kids, it's it's a, got a great message. Yeah, and they're different enough from each other that one can't really spoil the other, so the order you, you do them in, or maybe if you only do one and not the other, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. Okay, we're going to throw things over to Hank and Craig and then Brennan, and that will pretty much wrap up our show. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and you know where to find us here every Friday on CFCR 90.5 FM. In the meantime, 
keep your dukes up. Hey, everybody. It's Craig Silliphant on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I am joined, as always, by my sidekick. Or am I the sidekick? Oh, oh you watch your filthy mouth. Call me a sidekick. <laughs> Joined by I'm, my own I'm short I'm not round. being your Robin to Batman, thank you. Hank okay. Cruz. We're both Batman. Right. You uh, know, in the multiverse, we both can be Batman. It's that's fun. true. That's true. That's true. So uh, uh, welcome, Hank. Wow. So we are going to talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We're going to have a spoiler-free conversation about that. I will quickly say, if you want to read my full review, you can go to craigsillifant.com and you can probably see the uh, Fisher Cruise review on Instagram there. Yeah, at Cruise. Uh, yeah coming, uh, coming up soon, as soon as Mike and I agree on a number, because uh, our numbers right now are a little different. A little different. We got to agree before we go. And, yeah. Right. Well, you should do two. Because uh, I would hate two. to go and put like a 49 and he's like it was a 51 you know and then we get right in the 50 and everyone's right. 50. pick a side you never give a movie of 50 okay you go either way yeah any so we're gonna, we we're gonna talk about indie and then we uh probably time permitting we're gonna talk about the mummy yeah. with brendan frazier obviously uh, an indiana jones ripoff slash homage from back in the day and uh jaws 4k i i recently watched for the uh july 4th long weekend or july 1st long weekend in canada so let's start with Indy, though. Uh, we've got the Dial of Destiny. Indy's back for part five. Sort of a whole new situation going on. In this version, it's 1969. And his goddaughter, Helena Shaw, comes to him. And she wants him to help her find the Dial of Destiny, something her father, uh, played by Toby Jones, was obsessed with. And I guess I could say she's played by uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as well, joining Harrison Ford as the 80-year-old uh indiana jones now mm. in my review i said you know some people were skeptical about his age but i said it's not the years honey it's the mileage it's the mileage and you know what everybody uh he put it in his contract that he had to be uh had to take a shirt off in at least one scene to show everybody how freaking ripped he is for being an old dude so it's like it wasn't that far into the movie and it's like oh don't mind me look at this da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah and all the uh, old ladies in the crowd were swooning i guess i i mean he is yeah. in very good shape but i would also say he's also got the an 80 year old man body so there was oh a yeah lot of but he's looking good he's elephant looking skin good. going on there but <laughs> so what did you uh what'd you think you know, uh, I found the movie, I was surprised I was bored uh, through some of it. Uh, nothing jumped out at me as being like, oh, wow, like, yeah, this is the send off that Indy deserves. No, nah, it was kind of, it was kind of par for the course. I, like the, the Nazi stuff, like, really, like, we need more. Like, I thought they would do something a little bit different. It was a little long. I'm trying not to give uh, any spoilers here, but uh, even. Okay, my... well, let's, let's, uh, let's break it down by like yeah. uh, some, some, some categories. So. Again, avoiding spoilers, but what did you think of the uh, the movie starts in 1944, actually, and Indy and Toby Jones are trying to uh, get an like sort of like a, you know, the James Bond opening prologue kind of thing. Yep. And I guess they've done that in indie movies before, too. What did you think of the digital de-aging? It creeps me out. But uh, now, uh, you know, a few years ago when they started to do it, it was like creepy because it wasn't like close, you know, now. Like he looked pretty darn close and now it's creeping me out because of how close it was. And like, Ooh, now like we don't need anybody to be in movies anymore. And that's how they're going to save money. Right. Well, just, I'm sure Lucas will love that. People. I, uh... I, I, I didn't mind it. I got into it actually the first uh, action scene or I guess the first 20 minute action from spoiler, 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 getting onto a train fighting explosions and everything. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. The yeah. If it was fun. 
I'll get I'll, I'll I have one criticism of it, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. My opinion on the digital de-aging stuff is that like it's probably the best it's ever looked. I think you're right. Like I think even if you go back to Rogue One, Governor Tarkin has this crazy uncanny valley thing, Princess Leia. They look terrible. In this one, it looked better, but I still felt like it didn't look like a real person. It looked like a video. It looked like a really well done video game cutscene. Now, maybe some of that even could have been better handled where like when the Nazis shine a flashlight in his face, you can tell that's not a real person. When he's running in the dark on a train, it's a little bit better, right? Like now to jump to the next thing, I guess, like I think this would solve a lot of problems, the action sequences. So there's some fun action set pieces in the movie, but I say they all go on like way too long. thusly the movie's way too long because of it but they eventually kind of become boring and really the movie is like there's a lot of a huge segment where you're just like hey they go to this country they get in a big chase they go to the next country they get in a big chase they go to the next country it's a big chase and so you're kind of just like bouncing back and forth through like an hour of chase scenes all of which are too long and don't really sustain that the the length and i think it's the same thing with the the nazi thing too like i think it's interesting but you could have just started it much later in the sequence in 1944 the, the, like the chase things like they didn't have to go to all those like it was unnecessary they could have just said uh shown on the map like they do you know and it's like an arrow over here and an arrow over here and it's like and now we're at the final destination okay we didn't need to see all of that yeah <laughs> now i think my biggest problem with the movie all that other stuff being said that that all that other stuff made it just kind of fairly bland. There's even an interesting comparison I saw online of like the train chase versus the train chase uh, with River Phoenix from Last Crusade. One of them you can tell is River Phoenix or a stuntman scrambling across a real train. The other one is like just green, like green screen. Nothing's real. The characters aren't even real. Probably it's you know it, it just that the first three Indiana Jones movies have the, these like this organic feeling to them. But what did you think of? Well, let me say what I thought of Phoebe Waller Bridge. So Helena Shaw, this character that comes in, which isn't it's, you know, they do that in the indie movies. They bring in a new character for him to, you know, hang out with. However, I think my problem with it was great, great idea for a character. Helena Shaw, she's this progressive woman. She's a bit of a money hungry scoundrel, kind of like Han Solo. She has, though, I think the best character arc in the movie. I think she does all the heavy lifting. She's got an origin. She's got her own short round style sidekick. And thusly, Indiana Jones himself, I felt, was lost in the movie. He's sort of shuffling around in the background for a lot of things, making grumpy comments, you know, but just not she takes over the movie. And I think this transfers to the humor, too. Maybe they thought there was going to be some banter there. The movie is not very funny. These movies are funny, like really funny. Uh, and sometimes they go over the top. You got Shia LaBeouf swinging through the trees or, <laughs> or, or you know, things like that. But there's barely any humor in this movie. It's all it's very like dour for most of it. Like he's got some good one liners. But other than that, it's very dour. So do you agree with that, though, that it that it feels like she kind of took over the movie? Oh, it was her movie. Oh, yeah. And that's which means like, 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 and I don't know if that was the plan. But I still go back to the like my expectations were this is the send off that Indy deserves. We didn't want to leave Indy with the third movie. This is going to be the one that the fans are like, oh, thank you. And at the end, I'm like, so that's what you thought the fans were going to be like, oh, thank you. Okay. All right. So overall here, I want to leave time for you to talk about The Mummy. We've got about two minutes left. I'm going to say it was mediocre movie, probably disappointing for me as an indie movie. A quick question. During a lot of the chases when they were in vehicles and things like that, like the horrible green screen action, 
did they do that on purpose to make it look like the movie was filmed in 1940 or I guess 1960, or they actually thought that looked good? That's like, a good question. Think? I have no idea, but that is a good question. That's a segue into the mummy where the like deplorable CGI in indie. So then, because my son was disappointed too, I said, hey, you know what? We haven't watched The Mummy yet. Let's watch that. You'll really like it. And it came out in 99. That movie was great. That holds up well. And I was quite impressed. And he loved it. I loved it. And the CGI in there was a hell of a lot better than what we saw. Right. I'm like, really? And this is the, now the second Mummy, The Mummy Returns. Uh, it's great until they get to a part near the end where the rock turns into the scorpion king or whatever, and he's an actual scorpion. And it's like the worst CGI that's ever been put on film. And I'm curious as to why they haven't gone to a university or a college or something, uh, you know, for people in uh, like design and things like that to go listen as a project, redo this part of the movie. And then we'll put it into all the digital releases. And so that when you go to watch the movie now, you're like, it doesn't get ruined because of this one part with the horrible CGI. But 99, they did a hell of a lot better. And that movie was fun. It was entertaining. It still holds up. And then Indy, with all the people they had working on it, they couldn't. Yeah. No, I was bored. I'm very upset. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, pretty disappointed too. Uh, I'll say on The Mummy quickly, we're out of time here. But uh, I remember hating that movie in 1999 but I'm definitely primed for a rewatch of it uh, just because I think it will be sort of a fun, almost a a drunken cinema movie. Even you have some beers at a good time. It's funny. Uh, There's stuff that's gross in there. It's a little bit of scary stuff. Oh yeah. Well, and I think I hated it at the time because it was such an Indiana Jones ripoff, but now I might be ready to watch. You're like, like I need that to cleanse my palate. (laughs) Okay. So uh, yeah, I guess we're saying, uh, you know, you could probably wait for Disney plus for Indiana Jones, but uh, we're going to throw back to Jody here. So later. Hello, Punch listeners. It is Brennan returning for the great comeback episode. That's right. You didn't hear me last week, but now I'm back. Bigger, better than ever. Well, not really. I'm just trying to, you know, hype myself up a little bit. Sometimes you need to do that. You need to hype yourself up. Now, today, I'm talking about something a little bit different. I'm not usually into talking about controversies, but this one has been ongoing for at least two months. It's a big YouTube kerfuffle. And so if you're not on YouTube, you probably don't know about this at all. I know about it because it actually involves a YouTuber that I recommended quite a few months ago. And now that YouTuber is in a crazy hailstorm of controversy. And so I'm going to talk about it today. So if you have not heard, the Illuminati is in a lot of trouble for abuse of power of being manipulative of our friends, um, for shady business practices, which is interesting because the Illuminati's entire YouTube channel is exposing shady business practices. So um, I first got into the Illuminati. I like listening to factual documentary type shows. And she does one uh, once a week called The Corporate Casket, where she talks about shady businesses, business models she doesn't like, MLMs specifically, and does a deep dive on them, really well-researched, uh, comes out once a week, and every two weeks is another episode of something else. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite factual. What has happened is the Illuminati put out a video called The Illuminati Exposed, where she exposed herself for some things she had done, and it was like an apology video. And how this whole started, there was another YouTuber called Legal Eagle that does entertaining legal advice 
you know, uh, it's, he's an actual lawyer. So he's an actual lawyer, and he's trying to explain legal situations in entertainment and in politics uh, as a way of educating people and making it kind of fun. One of Legal Eagle's editors contacted Illuminati saying, hey, I like this look you did in this one video. Like, what plugin did you use, right? So essentially, it's like buying any kind of program. Um, it comes with a bunch of preset stuff that anyone can use. And he was wondering, what did you use for it? Well, then she tweeted out, Oh, this editor asked about this effect. Look how much, look how much their videos look like my videos. Uh, you know, basically saying they plagiarize us. Now, don't throw plagiarism against a guy who does a lawyer YouTube community channel. Because, of course, he responded saying, actually, it wasn't about a video. I was doing this for a personal video. You know, the effect that you say we copied, we've been using for years before that you ever did. So she's like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Apology. Now, Click and um, uh, Wonder uh, started, a, they were on part of a group called Sad Milk Together, and they started tweeting, well, this isn't the first time she's done stuff like this. So the Click and Wonderstruck guy had this little conversation going about what it's like to work with them when they're in Sad Milk and just how she could be very controlling, this type of thing. Turns out the Illuminati had been once accused of plagiarism by a smaller YouTuber, or the Illuminati went onto an interview and basically punched down and made fun of this other YouTuber saying, uh, how would I ever do that? Why would I do that? I had, no one else, I had no clue that no one else was making videos on the MLM market like I did. I thought it was my own island out here. And basically punching down to the small YouTuber, which is like a big, what I've learned, if you're on YouTube, is something you don't do. So um, Wonderstruck Guy and The Click had this conversation on Twitter. So the Illuminati went out and made this video where she uh, basically apologized to Legal Eagle then did this whole like hour expose of all the sad milk behind the scenes stuff um, to show that she was not in the wrong. And she exposed a lot of personal information that was nothing for her to talk about. And then once this video had come out, unless she talked about one of struck guys, uh, mental health issues and really personal information. Anyway, so one of struck guy and the click came with their own videos and said, well, guess what? Here is us disputing everything she says and why. And it blows up to the point people come out saying that the Illuminati was paying other people to find dirt on them and to make ghost accounts. And then it's revealed the Illuminati was actually making her own ghost accounts to harass her own friends, to make them look bad for like months. And they had no idea it was her. And she'd even tag herself in these uh, tweets and things to make it look like it was someone else, but she was doing it to her own friends. So this pattern of working against her friends and hiring her friends. She bought a house for one struck guy and a car for him and then took it all away. Just a lot of ugh, corrupt things. And there's so much to talk about. I can't even ugh. go on YouTube. <laughs> Look, there's so many shows about this right now. I've watched so many of them. I've kind of lost track of what's even happening with it in my own head. If you want a super deep dive, go into Swoop. Uh, that's now my new favorite Illuminati type person who does deep dives about YouTube celebrities and that type of thing. Uh, hers is like almost two hours long. It's a super long one. There's lots of short ones. It's fascinating. Uh, Illuminati has lost tons of viewers. She's had over, she still has over like a, a million subscribers or something, but she's lost over like 100,000 of them. Her videos have gone from at least 100,000 views or more to less than 60,000. Uh, the Illuminati Exposed got 1.1 million views, okay? So... Big name, um, and this is something that didn't have to happen if she just would have not said anything. 
none of this would have happened. Now she's losing sponsorship and she's really being torn down in the community. And that's the thing. YouTube is not just a celebrity acting in a movie. It's a community. And now that you're going against your community, people are calling you out. Oh, that's it. Go on YouTube. If you're at all fascinated, check out all the videos about this happening. It's been going on for months. And this is Brennan saying, I'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon. Wow. Wow. That's a lot to take in. Well, thanks for the scoop. And that wraps up our show. So we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.